Hey, I mean it. Stay away from TMD. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of Splintember. This one's called Stay Away From TMD. Now, it's an interesting title and I appreciate that and I really, really gave it a lot of thought before I came to this title because I wanted to take Splintember in a certain direction. Now, if I dived straight into talking about different appliances, different splints, without first covering the context of the temporomandibular joint anatomy, the muscles, the teeth, and dare I even say the occlusion and, and the role that has in it, it probably lack a lot of direction and context, right? So I'm going to back to I'm going to go back to basics. I'm going to talk about anatomy and its relevance to the different so-called temporomandibular disorders that we see, and hopefully that will tie in with the future episodes, and and you can sort of follow along in a more logical manner. So that's what this is about. So the reason I picked the title "Stay Away from TMD" is because I genuinely mean it. Like, stay away. Do you really want to get involved in TMD patients unless you genuinely? have a passion for it and you have a genuine passion for treating chronic pain. Now it's a serious question because it is something that you need to be waking up on Monday morning, going to work and you've got to say to yourself, "Okay, today I'm excited to go into work today to see my six patients who all have severe chronic pain uh, and they've been going from one specialist clinic to another specialist clinic and they're finally going to see me and I'll solve all their problems." This is really complex dentistry. and it's very niche dentistry. So that's what I mean by chronic pain and TMD. Do you really want a practice built around that? And of course, don't take my word for it. If it's something you generally want to do, then that's totally cool, but what I found is that I molded my practice in the type of care that I provide. Um I don't advertise on my patient-facing website uh, or in any sort of uh, public-facing YouTube sort of content I make for patients. that I like to treat TMD or or that sort of stuff it's something that I I don't advertise myself because I don't want to be swamped with these patients because they are challenging and complex a lot of these patients are chronic pain patients which is a whole different field in fact a, a member of the public or a prospective patient actually uh, commented on the first Splint Temper episode on my YouTube channel uh, and she commented saying hey um, I'm not a, I'm not a dentist but I, I'd like to know Are you going to be covering the treatment of an anteriorly displaced disc? Uh so I I sort of said no, I'm I'm not going to be covering this. It's quite a niche thing and it's not something I'm into. So I'll I'll explain a bit more about that uh, and the relevance of that, but I yeah, this is something that I don't want to be swamped with and maybe nor should you. Okay, just so before I start talking and delving deeper and deeper into this concept of staying away from TMD, I want to share with you the protrusive dental pearl. Uh it's a really cool one. I'm recommending an app. Uh, I don't get paid for this in any way. I just think it's a freaking awesome app. So if you're a student, you will love this. If you are like me, uh, you're driving and sometimes you want to create content like sometimes uh, uh when I plan a podcast episode uh, or something like an even a long email I want to draft. I'm using this app. Uh it's basically a transcription app. And there's so many different uses for it. Even if you wanted to record a lecture with the lecturer's permission, you can use this transcription app 
and it has been the best transcription app I have found, okay? It's called Otter, O-T-T-E-R, and literally it's just brilliant. You can either upload some audio content that you have and it will transcribe it for you, or you can be, you know, driving or in a lecture and as it's sort of, sort of listening and recording the audio, it's also transcribing. Now, the, the thing I like about it is that you can actually uh, add your own words in as part of the dictionary because obviously a lot of the dental terms, it won't understand, but you can sort of add those in there. But generally, with, with someone who's got a clear voice and you're pronouncing things well, it's, it's actually really accurate. So I would recommend to check out otter.ai, that's a website, otter.ai, O-T-T-E-R.ai, I believe that's a website. Uh, and you can get this on Apple and on Android. I have it on my Android and it has been just fantastic for transcribing. So any scenario you can think of, whether you're a student, uh, doing a postgraduate training, recording lectures, or if you want to maybe blog, like if you've got a practice blog, for example, and you want to make, make content, and if like me, you hate typing on your phone and you hate typing in general and you like speaking, uh, then you, I, I, what I tend to do is I sort of speak to my phone and I rely on Otter to transcribe things for me and I just do the little corrections and hey presto, I have my own text that I need. So uh, I think it's a great transcription service. So check out Otter if you think this will be useful in your life. Treating temporal mandibular disorders is very niche and you have to really love it. It's not something that, um, you know, it's not like I don't enjoy it. It's, it's very satisfying. It's very cool to be able to get these patients out of pain. But how many of these patients do you actually get? Like, as in a new patient examination, how many tell you, you know what, I'm really, really finding a lot of pain in my ear, in my joint. It's something I'm suffering with a lot. You get the occasional one, but it's not something that you get in a lot of. I mean, maybe I get about one every couple of months who may have this sort of uh, presenting complaint. So they're not very common patients to, to, to find. It's not a very common issue to find, to be honest with you. TMD patients are, are out there, but they only seek out those who advertise themselves as TMD dentists, if you like. You see, I, I decided that my niche and what I like to do is just good quality, general dentistry, and I want my patients to have beautiful, healthy smiles, well-aligned teeth, uh, treating tooth wear, which sort of goes ha hand in hand with it, orthodontics and, and, and how that, uh, the whole ortho restorative dentistry, I, I love that side. So I don't want that to be displaced by a, a, a swarm of chronic pain TMD patients. So be careful what you wish for. So in short, I like to build things and I like to protect them. And that's where splints come in, comes into it for me, really. How can I protect people's dentitions from getting worse? How can I protect them once I've um, carried out a rehabilitation? Now, one of my mentors, Michael Melkers, once taught me that past is prologue. Now, what that means is that whatever the patient has done to their dentition in the past, so you have these patients who really worn things down, right? And they're going to come and see you and you're going to make them look fantastic. And obviously, you're going to pay a lot of attention to waxing it up so it's functional. You know, that's uh, in quotation marks, functional, because I'll tell you why I have a problem with the word functional as well. But anyway, so everything's working, canine guidance, disclusion posteriorly, the whole mutually protected occlusion, because when you're doing a rehabilitation, you want to set them up for success. You want to minimize the stress. So it's called the minimal stress dentition. But what the past is prologue means that whatever all the things that they used to do with their teeth before you did the rehab, 
your rehab will be subjected to the very same forces, to the very same destructive chewing patterns and grinding and that sort of stuff. So you have to protect them. It doesn't mean that once you've done the rehabilitation and you've improved their occluding scheme, that that's gonna be the answer to all their problems because you know, fast forward 10, 15, 20 years, you'll also get chipping and wear on, on your rehab. Uh, and of course, you don't want that. After patients, after the patients spend a lot of time and money in your chair to, to build a, a beautiful, healthy smile, you want to protect, protect it against the forces that destroyed it in the first place. So that's why I think there is a huge role for splints after rehabilitations. Uh, there are some sort of theories out there that once you rehabilitate the patient that you don't need a splint, right? Because you've you set them up for life with their canine guidance and mutually protected occlusion and smooth excursions and that sort of stuff. But really, um, what I've learned from my mentors is past is prologue. So remember that, and that's why splints have a massive role in your uh, aftercare of your patients after you do the restorative dentistry to get them where they want to be. Now, if you want to set up a TMD type practice, then you can be extremely successful. Like if you're in um, a state in the US or a part of Australia or anywhere in the UK and you sort of advertise yourself as a TMD based practice and that sort of content you put out, then you will get patients coming from miles and miles away to come and see you. You'll get dentists referring to you. You can easily build a really good reputation for yourself because these patients find it difficult to get the right care. So if you want to do that and that's your passion, I think go with it, okay? This is gonna be a fantastic feel for you, but it's not for me because I love all the other things in that restorative dentistry has to offer for my patients. So I don't want that to be displaced by a swarm of TMD patients, as I said before. These are chronic pain patients and often they require multidisciplinary care. And to give you an example, some of these patients may need MRIs to actually have a look at the position of their discs. Now, for me to get my patient to spend 800 pounds for an MRI, yes, of course, it's more likely if they're, if they're in a specialist type practice doing this type of stuff day in, day out, and the patient has sort of um, looked out and, and has been seeking out for this type of care, but the type of referral pathways, especially where I am, to actually get the patient to have an MRI, have it interpreted and sent back to me it just seems like a lot of work for a general, a humble general dentist like myself. So this is where I think if you are gonna be a TMD type practice, then go for it, but make sure you're working in a sort of multidisciplinary team to manage these very chronic uh, sort of uh, patients. So all those reasons above is one half of why I named this episode, stay away from TMD and I genuinely mean it. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We've worked so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. Now, there is a second reason of why I named this episode Stay Away From TMD. And it's basically from now on, I want you to make me a promise. And the promise is that unless you're going to be talking about it in a very broad umbrella term, I want you to stop using the term TMD. So the next time you've seen your patient, you've done your history examination, and you're about to write your diagnoses, 
please do not write TMD because TMD is an umbrella term. It's not actually a diagnosis per se. And uh, we're going to go into the classifications and different sort of diagnoses within it. But you just have to appreciate that TMD is a very weak term. Every time I see someone posting on social media and they say, uh, guys, uh, my patient has TMD. Which is the best splint for this patient? They've got canine guidance on the right and group function on the left. They have a crown on the upper left seven. You know, what splint's the best? Uh, the whole, you know, so much wrong about that sort of post, but the, the diagnosis from the beginning is an issue because TMD is an umbrella term. Now, I'll be using the term TMD now and again, very much so as the umbrella term, and uh, it contains so much. I mean, there's actually so many diagnoses within TMD, and I'll put the whole classification in the Protrusive Dental Community Facebook group so you can download it. But really, when you break it down, it involves three main sort of global themes. There's a few more, but there's three main ones, right? And the first one to consider is, is not even the most common one, but it's uh, bony. Let's think about bone, right? So you've got your condyle up against the articular eminence. There's usually a healthy meniscus or a disc between it, but sometimes things go wrong. And over time, you get a degenerative type of condition, sort of like osteoarthritis. So think of the first sort of term or the first broad genre of diagnoses to do with the bone. A lot of these patients, when you palpate their temporomandibular joints, you get to open and close, you will get something called crepitus. This is like the grating sound that you get, and it's unmistakable. The first time you hear it, like, ah, that's what they meant at dental school, that's crepitus. It's completely unmistakable. It's not like a click or a pop, and that's generally a sign of it, but a lot of these patients actually are asymptomatic. Uh, it's a chronic thing and it's degenerative. So it's something that's there is sort of built up to that. So that's the first sort of uh, key theme within diagnosis. Is there something wrong with the bone? So I wanted to mention that one and really get it out of the way because it's not that common and it's something that there, there are bigger fish to fry when it comes to the umbrella term of TMD. And, and, and the most common one actually is what we call myofacial pain or myofacial pain dysfunction syndrome. Uh, and it's basically something to do with the muscles. So that's the, uh, that's the other part of the anatomy, right? There's something not quite right with the muscles. If there's any sort of muscular, you can sort of allude to the fact that it's myofacial pain or muscular in origin. Okay, so it doesn't get confusing, right? So, so far I've said it can be bony or it can be muscular. And if it's muscle, you can put the term myofacial as a sort of general term for something's not quite right with the muscles. Which muscles? It's of course the muscles of mastication, master, temporalis, medial and lateral pterygoids. It's generally these ones. You can get the accessory muscles involved as well, but these are the main players when it comes to myofacial pain. These are your headache patients. These are your, oh, my neck is stiff, my shoulders are sore sort of thing. These are the sort of referred pain from the masters. Uh, if you listen to episode 11, uh, Communicating with the Bruxist, we, we sort of talked about that um, with Barry Olton, the referred pain element. So this is all under the uh, second umbrella term of myofacial pain. Now, if you read Dawson's textbook, uh, the term occlusomuscle is also used, right? So occlusomuscle disorders, and this is very much myofacial um, in, in nature. The reason why occlusomuscle is not the best term in the world is, is the following. Now, now, stay with me, I don't want to confuse anyone. Occlusomuscle, it sort of implies that the occlusion is at fault, right? But the problem is, it's not really the occlusion per se, and I've talked about this before, it's the occluding, right? It's the fact that this patient is parafunctioning and bruxing in the first place. And they are parafunctioning and bruxing 
on an occlusal scheme or a cluding scheme, which is not perfect. And what I mean by perfect, that is, you know, what you read in the textbook about the canine guidance, uh, no non-working side interferences, and, you know, uh, posterior disclusion, all these things, okay, they might not have that. And if they're power functioning and they've got all these interferences involved uh, and it's not really set up in a minimal stress dentition, then they could be having muscle pain. Hence why the term occlusomuscle. So that's also uh, within this sort of myofacial pain diagnosis. So of course, if the, if the patient wasn't occluding so much, they wouldn't be having these problems, their muscles wouldn't be so sore in the first place, and of course, their, their existing occluding scheme may not be helping them. So occluso muscle is not the best term, but it's commonly used, so, so that's an, another term that's used, and that, that's totally fine if you wanna use that. Now, the next structure, and really the third uh, structure we're gonna be looking at is intra-articular, okay? Intra-articular, that's what's happening within the temporomandibular joint space, okay? And this is most commonly something like a pathology involving the disc. So for example, uh, clicking, so internal derangement is a term that's commonly used, uh, and we'll go into that in future episodes, but internal derangement with or without reduction. So let's just, okay, we can cover it now. Internal derangement, okay, uh, with or without reduction. What that means basically is that the disc that sat on top of the condyle, the meniscus, right, if there's a derangement, it's usually the lateral pterygoid that's sort of pulling the disc forward to the condyle, and with the reduction basically means that the disc is able to jump back on. And that jumping back on is the click or the pop, right? When the patient has got this disc forward but it never jumps back on, we call that internal derangement without reduction. So actually reduction in this case is a bit like a fracture of a bone. When orthopedic surgeons or maxillofacial surgeons, when they're reducing a fracture, they're bringing the, uh, the, the fracture line back together. They're bringing the two fragments of bone, if you like, back together. So that fracture is now reduced. So very much in the same way, the disc is reduced. So it's internal derangement with reduction if they have the disc jumping back on and that usually um, manifests itself as a click or a pop. So sorry if that bit got a bit confusing and I will sort of uh, break it down in future episodes, but really it's either bone pathology, it's muscle pathology, or it's something to do with a disc. As a broad term, I'm really trying to keep it as simple as possible. So that's generally what TMD involves, the three main structures, bone, muscle, and what's happening inside the joint space, which is exactly why I want you to now stay away from the term TMD. And wouldn't it be so much better for our patients for our profession, for us ourselves, when we're trying to choose the correct treatment, treatment modality to actually be able to pinpoint the diagnosis. Is it something to do with the bone? Is it something to do with the muscle, very commonly? Or is it something to do with the joint space as well? So it's something to do with the disc intra-articular. Now, if I went really deep here and talked about every single little diagnosis within the classification, like retrodiscitis, capsulitis, synovitis, all these sort of things, it can get really deep and really confusing, but if you stick to the basics of respecting these three main diagnoses within TMD, you can't really go wrong. And it's a fantastic thing to be able to sort of uh, understand TMD in that way. It really helps you to uh, eventually, because what I'm, what I'm telling you is, is not gonna make you a TMD expert. I'm not a TMD expert, but I respect the anatomy and I know the anatomy. And when you start thinking about diagnoses of TMD in this way, 
It really helps you to understand what's happening. You can exhibit that you're a good practitioner if in the notes you can write if it's something to do with myofascial pain, if it's an intra-articular diagnosis, or something like osteoarthritis, thankfully that's not too common. Now the other thing I want to tell you about is something that, uh, it's, it's a theory I really like and I want to share it with you. Now it's something that I'm not sure if it has uh, enough evidence or not to be honest with you, but it's something that my mentors have always taught me. So uh, hear me out and if there's any evidence to disprove this and I'm, I'm totally open to, to, to sort of reading it, but I told you already from before, the evidence in this sort of uh, area is quite poor, unfortunately. But uh, this theory is called the weakest link theory. So, so far I've talked about parafunction bruxism and how that may affect bone, muscle, or intra-articular, but there are other structures that are also affected from the forces of parafunction bruxism. Now, they are, of course, the teeth themselves and the periodontium, which, which makes sense, right? You know, the teeth can take a real beating and you would obviously, you would obviously see wear of the teeth or cracks. Uh, and of course, the periodontium, uh, in, in the Dawson sex book, uh, it, it does of course mention that due to the forces of parafunction, someone can get recession. Someone can get sensitivity. So in, in some respect, it can also involve the pulp, if you like. So that we can, we can include that within the term of teeth, obviously. So teeth and periodontium are also affected by the forces of parafunction. Now, an interesting observation that I was taught by Dr. Pasquale Venuti, an Italian dentist I follow and I really respect uh, one of his lectures, is that, you know those patients that have really worn down their teeth uh, or their posterior teeth are flattened, uh, including the anterior, and when you take a photo of this patient with their teeth apart, like everything is like completely flat. Everything is like machined flat, right? An interesting observation is that these patients, okay, yes, they have lots of wear, but seldom do they come with lots of cracks. They are not the ones that come with cracked teeth. Whereas those patients that have very steep cuspal inclines, those patients that when you get, to, when you ask them to grind left and right, they're almost locked. They have this like very uh, well-defined interlocking and uh, you get them to grind together and they're like, yeah, I'm trying, I'm trying. And you see no movement of the mandible, right? So those patients are locked in and actually, you may notice that those are the patients that usually come in with the cracks in their teeth. Isn't that an interesting observation that some of those patients with generalized wear, because they're able to glide across quite freely, that the stresses don't build up in the teeth and the teeth don't respond with cracks, they respond with wear. And there's another group of patients whose teeth don't wear away, but their teeth flex and they crack. Now, as, as well as cracks and wear, the teeth can also become sensitive. Uh, I can give you some examples of my own patients where I experienced this uh, in, in dental school, for example. I remember a couple of cases whereby I placed a resin bridge and it was a canine replacing a lateral incisor. And it was like a mesial cantilever, so you can imagine this sort of bridge design. And what I had checked was the occlusion to the degree of my knowledge at the time as a student. I got the patient to bite together, and I saw that everything was meeting together roughly at the same time, and I was happy. Got the blue dot everywhere, done, right? Now, this patient came back with a main complaint that their tooth was very sensitive. So this was uh, something that confused me at the time. I, I was thinking, why is this tooth sensitive? Could it be recurrent caries that has happened in the last two weeks? Could it be some dentine hypersensitivity? Is there some recession? Did I make things worse by, did I overretch something? Like I was confused at the time as to why this patient was getting sensitivity. 
Then my tutor came along and this tutor was very switched on and, and she told me that actually it could be something to do with the occlusion or the occluding, right? And what I didn't check, as I told you, was the excursions. I didn't check the dynamic occlusion. And when we checked it at that appointment on the review visit, I found that I had lots of excursive load on the pontic. Now, what this does is excursive load on a cantilever bridge, it really amplifies the talking force in the abutment tooth. And this is how a tooth can respond with sensitivity, with pulpitis. So what I had done is I adjusted the pontic to get rid of that harmful excursive contact. And when I reviewed the patient again in four weeks, all the symptoms had gone. So this is an example, a common scenario where maybe you've been thrown, thrown away uh, or thrown out and you didn't realize, you didn't check as thoroughly as you could have the excursive movements and the patient has come back with some sensitivity. So that's another way that the, the forces of parafunction bruxism can exhibit in your patients as sensitivity when you, have, when you place a new restoration and you haven't checked the excursive guidance. Now, I also did this, embarrassingly, a few years ago on a patient who has extremely worn teeth. I can show you a photo of that patient now, actually. It's on the screen now. And on this patient, I replaced, I believe it was the upper left second premolar crown. Again, I cemented it. I thought I'd check the occlusion, but I didn't check the excursion as well as I should have. Because I got a phone call from this patient saying that every time they're eating, now and again, they're knocking into this tooth. And they've also told me that they're getting a lot of sensitivity, sensitivity from this tooth. So what's happening here? So same as that other patient with the resin bridge, this patient was getting sensitivity because all that excursive load was now on this very steep cuspal incline of a new crown, which was not harmonious with the rest of his wear facets. So one thing I mentioned in Instagram Live recently I did with uh, Alan Smith from Precision Dental was that the best technicians in the world, what they will do is they will always check the, the wear facets on the adjacent teeth and try and match them up. This is to make sure that everything is harmonious when you're checking the occlusion. Now, this is a mistake made by me and the technician and the patient suffered with sensitivity. Now, as soon as the patient came back and I adjusted that very steep cuspal incline, which didn't suit this patient, I made it flatter, all the sensitivity went away. So that, these are two examples of how parafunction bruxism and so a clinical mistake in terms of checking the occlusion resulted in sensitivity. So one thing I can tell you about both those patients I mentioned is that both those patients were parafunctional bruxis patients. What I'm trying to say is that sometimes you can make a mistake in your restoration and I guarantee it happens all the time and a lot of these patients will never complain, they won't get sensitivity, they won't get any problems and you'll never hear about it. Why is that, right? If your patient only brings their teeth together for 17 and a half minutes a day, which is a classic sort of graph study, I believe in 1964, and again, I'll put that in the protrusive dental community, then they won't have an issue. But if their patient's parafunction with some force and for some time, and they're rubbing their teeth together, and they're sort of amplifying that your clinical mistake, they're the ones who are gonna get above the threshold of pain, and those are the ones that you'll hear about or the restoration will fracture, or something will crap, crack, and something will give, right? So this is a, a really interesting theory that actually you can get away with a lot in occlusion, and you probably have with your patients, right? You can jack things open, you can um, give, have complete disregard for the occlusion, you do a rehab arbitrarily, and you, you don't get the perfect guidance that you intended, 
and you send them home and they come back and guess what? Nothing's broken, nothing's sensitive. So don't you think it could have something to do with their parafunctional status or how long they keep their teeth together for? If they're the classic 17 and a half minute chewers and they don't really ex exhibit that much force, then they're probably not gonna have many issues. Interesting theory, that. And, and this is something that I actually share with my patients as well. Uh, those patients who are parafunctioning, and I find evidence of this, I sometimes find it very useful to tell the patient, hey, did you know that our teeth should only touch for about 17 minutes a day? And most patients, and actually most dentists in my experience, are shocked by this. They think, whoa, uh, that's interesting. And when they come back to see you a few weeks later or at the next recall, those, para those positively parafunctional patients with all the signs and sometimes the symptoms, they will suddenly tell you, after you told me about the 17 minutes of, uh, of touching, I've noticed my, my teeth touching so many more times. And I think you're right, doc. I think I am grinding. I think I am clenching. And it's something that I'm, I'm now so much more aware of compared to before when I didn't know this. So it's a great thing to tell your patients who sometimes may not be 100% convinced of their parafunctional status. Just tell them, did you know our teeth should only meet for 17 minutes a day? And just give them that information and let them sit on it. And when they come back, they will give you that feedback that actually they have noticed that their teeth are touching. Sometimes it's all to do with having that awareness. And of course, the way you've communicated with this patient all along is that you would have showed them their photos, you would have shown them their wear facets uh, meeting up together like we discussed with the, the episode with Dr. Barry Olson. And you may have uh, told the patient, like what we learned from episode 21 with Dr. Manrina Road, was that you're chewing your own enamel. I really like uh, that term that Dr. Manrina used. You are chewing your own enamel. The other term I like uh, describing to patients is something I learned from Dr. Stephen Phelan, which is damaged enamel. When you have got severe wear sets, I show the patients their photos and I tell them this is damaged enamel because that's such a powerful term and patients really understand that this isn't normal, they've chewed their enamel and now it's damaged. So these are little communication hacks that I'm giving you. So tell them that our teeth should only touch for 17 minutes a day, and even then with not that much force, only when we're swallowing. Maybe that's too much detail, but you sort of gauge what the patient wants to hear. You tell them, or you show them, their damaged enamel, and you tell them you don't want them to chew their enamel away. And all these things are very powerful, as well as telling them that they're dentine, and obviously you show them the photo, their photo of the exposed dentine, and you tell them that their dentine is six times softer than the enamel, and it wears away quicker. These are all great things for the patient to know. Medico-legally, you've covered yourself, and eventually, when they do come back and they realize they've been parafunctioning, they'll have so much trust in you because quite a lot of times you'll be the first dentist to tell them and don't be disheartened if they don't fully understand or they don't fully trust you at that point because no one's ever told them before. Okay, so we talked about the joints, muscles, bone, periodontium, and the teeth when they can be sensitive and which patients they're more likely to be sensitive. So let's go back full circle now and I was talking about the weakest link theory, right? So why is it that some patients that parafunction, they have painful jaws, whereas other patients who parafunction have pain, has painful muscles, they have headaches, they have uh, spasms in their muscle, they have uh, neck pain, shoulder ache, all these sorts of things, and other patients, they don't have any symptoms. In fact, most patients, I'd say, that have signs of parafunction on their teeth and periodontium and whatnot, 
they don't have symptoms, they don't hurt, they don't have painful, especially for males, they don't come complaining of headaches, for example. So why is it that some patients don't have any of those symptoms, but all they exhibit is worn teeth, or maybe they have cracked teeth, or maybe they just have other signs in the periodontium, sensitivity, referred pain. Why does parafunction have different sort of signs and symptoms in different patients? Well, maybe this is something to do with the weakest link. Like, what is your patient's weakest link? And I love this theory because it helps me to sort of figure out a little bit about the patient. For example, sometimes you get a patient in and you can tell they've got these massive, massive master muscles and they've got generalized wear posteriorly and you know that they've been parafunctioning, all the wear sets match up, one of those patients, and these patients have no signs of pain or problems from their joints or from their muscles, and actually, their periodontium is amazing. Even though their oral hygiene may not be amazing, but their periodontium is thick. It's thick and strong, and they may even have lingual tori and all these exostoses, because one of the theories is that the, the body lays down more bone in, in response to all this sort of additional force that it's absorbing. So, so these patients have these big, strong, thick gums, and they're almost immune to periodontal disease. They're the ones whose biggest problem will be wear. Whereas you have these ladies coming in who don't have much signs of tooth wear, and they have thin, delicate gums with recession, and maybe they're the ones who are complaining of a clicking, painful jaw joint, and, and, and really their weakest link is the joint. Whereas you have other patients whose weakest link may be the joint and the muscle. So sometimes it's to do with what is the weakest link. Is it the teeth? Is it the joint? Or is it the muscle? Or any one or a combination? So the, the weakest link for any patient could be determined by genetics, biology, anatomy, all these sort of things. And to me, occlusion has a role, but really it depends on what is their occluding scheme uh, and the magnitude and the vectors of the parafunctional forces. Now, don't worry if that's really confusing. I will put on some diagrams in the future to explain that. But it, as long as you understand that TMD is an umbrella term, and I want you to stay away from that umbrella term. And really, if you wanna make a, a practice and living from treating these chronic pain TMD patients, then go for it. You'll be very successful. But if, like me, you just wanna do your bread and butter, general and cosmetic dentistry, then maybe that's not the best area for you to go into. So I hope this episode gave you some food for thought. I wanted to make it like a quite a broad thing. So it sort of sets us up for the future episodes to talk about different appliances, because I wanted to put in some communication hacks in there. I wanted to put in some uh, diagnoses in there. So you sort of know what's going on, because when I talk about the different appliances in future episodes, you sort of have some background about what is TMD, that it's an umbrella term, and why some patients may be affected more, why some patients, due to the weakest link theory, might have this funneling type bone loss and mobility around certain teeth, whereas others will come with jaw pain and popping, whereas others will have headaches, and some people, all they'll ever have is cracked teeth, and that's all. And, uh, and, and that is something that will hopefully be helpful in designing the correct appliance for your patient. So catch me for the rest of Splintember. Really appreciate you listening all the way to the end. Thank you so much.